0: As Peter wrote this letter that we're looking at, the people of God were expressly called that, the dispersed people of God, learning what it looked like to be God's people in a world that was outside of their control, where they couldn't meet, where they couldn't do things just based on their own desires and freedoms, but under the authority of many other people who were not sympathetic or on board with their cause. We began in open hard times long before we had any idea that this coronavirus Situation would come upon us, and we believe God has prepared us for this. So, if you're new with us, if you're watching online, maybe you just stumbled across this feed, maybe a friend from our church connected you. We want to welcome you. We want you to know that Matthew's Table Church exists not for our own glory, but to make the real Jesus—that is, the whole Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture—made known to the broken, burnout, and the Lord. All of us fall in one of those categories in some season, or in some way in our lives. So we're glad that you're here, and we hope that through connecting with us online would lead to the chance one day for us to connect in person. So we're going to read this morning from 1 Peter 2, chapter 4. Chapter 2, that is, verses 4 through 12. you would follow along with me. i turn the page here to get to the right place. As you come to Him, the living stone, Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a chosen cornerstone, and precious Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that your presence cannot be bound by buildings, by space, by distance. We thank you that your glory is a glory that is more than filling of the whole earth. We thank you that you have made us a temple together as your church, but you have also made us temples in Christ. So God, we just want to acknowledge and be aware of your presence right now. We ask again for the filling of your spirit, that we might have unity even now around your word in Christ. We pray God that you would bless us now. Through conviction, through comfort, through instruction for how to follow Jesus in these days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, things could be worse, and it doesn't mean things are bad. One article that was describing the Spanish flu of 1918 says that the scenes in Philadelphia appeared to be something out of the Middle Ages. That throughout day and night, horse-drawn wagons kept a constant parade through the streets of Philadelphia as priests and pastors and policemen collected corpses draped in sackcloths and blood-stained sheets that were left on porches and sidewalks. I'm not saying this to alarm you, just to give us some perspective. The bodies were piled on top of each other in wagons with limbs protruding from underneath the sheets. The parents of a small boy who succumbed to the flu begged to the authorities that he be allowed the dignity of being buried in a wooden box that had been used to ship macaroni instead of wrapping him in a sheet and just having him taken away by the patrol wagon. I want us all to stop and think, how would you feel if you were one of those priests, pastors, or policemen who were facing in such an intense way the suffering... And the confusion that surrounded that city. How would you feel? Hurt. Maybe some guilt, doing enough. Maybe lonely, as if no one would be there or was there. Maybe shame of your inability to care for those whom you love. A deep sadness, perhaps fear that you might be among those. So called away, anger, be angry at the government, maybe angry at God, be a gladness because of the provisions that you have that many others didn't. But not only would I ask you now to stop and think, wherever you are, however you're watching, but also, I want to ask yourself, what would you be questioning? What doubts would be arising in your mind? Experiencing suffering, especially of the extreme sort, especially maybe of seeing other people suffer whom you love, an intense season or extended season of you being in pain or you being confused can cause even the strongest person of faith to doubt their own sense of reality, to doubt God. But especially when those things are questioned, to doubt their own sense of meaning, purpose, and idea. We are not immune to such doubt. I know I'm not. We have to ask ourselves, are we ready to endure when life doesn't make sense? when your plans don't match reality, when black and white all of a sudden seems to turn to gray. And then we read in our scripture today that Peter is calling us in the midst of such a world that is outside of our control, the priests of God. Now to some of you that may be new, but to the others of you, we are all forced with this reality that it is so hard to remember our priesthood in Christ our meaning, and our identity when life doesn't make sense. Mike Tyson's been said to say that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. We may say that everyone may have a passion for God or his calling for them in the life until they get punched in the mouth. So the question before us this morning is, are we able to persevere in our calling as priests Priest in Christ, priests sent into the world with the purposes of God when life punches us in the face. It's so easy for us to isolate ourselves, to medicate ourselves in some way, to numb ourselves to reality, to blame other people, to distract ourselves from what we feel, or to dive deep into a, a cycle of despair that in some ways gives us this false comfort that comes through giving up. Sadly, this can happen to me in in times of far less pain, pandemic, or persecution than many of our brothers and sisters face in the world now or have faced. When I'm not taken seriously by other people, when I've tried really hard or misunderstood, when things seem chaotic in my home, when I look into my own heart and I see that I'm still struggling with similar sins and patterns and and, and destructive habits over the course of years or decades, it is very easy for me to think, what is the point? Does it really matter anyway? Who cares? And if I was honest, my heart at least, if not my physical expressions, are looking to the sky and saying, God, just forget it. But thankfully, the Spirit of God knows we get to these places. Peter knows this. Peter was there. We don't have time to go back into his life and see it. And so we have a lifeline in our text today, a lifeline in our text that is, that being the people of God in cultures and in seasons where things don't make sense. And they actually seem, by all appearances, to confirm the opposite of what God has promised to us this is nothing new in the story of God. Israel and Egypt, blessing to the nations, were are slaves. Israel in exile, the place where all the world would see the presence of God, and we are the people who look like they've been cast off by God. Jesus on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was supposed to be the one who made all things right and true and new. The early church under intense persecution, their leaders being bulled and beheaded. God's people have often found themselves in situations that don't make sense. And actually, that's often just what they knew as life. Seasons like this help us remember the story that we're in, but they also help us learn what it means to experience The presence of God in new ways, the promises of God in new ways, and our purposes as the priest of God in new ways. In times of pressure, we must remember our priesthood. We must remember our priesthood even when we live with problems, or especially when we live with problems that are outside of our control. We see this in verse 4. As our text begins, it says, as you, as you. There's a context here. There's a lot of really bold and big and beautiful theological propositions, announcements about who the people of God are in our text today. And we could just go there, and we could just sort of dissect those, but we've got to put this in the context of the story of those people who received this word for the first time. The church in Asia Minor They were not welcome. They were not at home. Verse 1 of chapter 1 told us they were exiles and strangers, aliens. They were the suffering people of God in the world, rejected, outcasts. They were the undesired immigrants who brought with them a strange set of beliefs and a strange way of living. And they declared that this one named Jesus had risen from the dead, and he, not Caesar, was their Lord. This you also is in the plural. We often pull the individual out of the communal context, particularly in our American history, but the people of God are spoken to here as a whole. They're not to think of themselves as reading this word Hearing that they are priests merely in terms of their individual potential, but in light of their corporate identity. We may lean into these things. At Matthew's Table Church, we we, we often do call one another to, to view our lives in view of the larger story of God, and to view our identity in, large of the, in light of the larger body of Christ. So we may want to lean in here, but I want us to step back now to get into this story and feel what they were feeling. These scattered believers in Asia Minor, having this message reinforced to them that you people don't belong. You people don't get it. You are a part of the problem. You are undesired. Why don't you just shut up? How they must have felt so lonely. So shamed, so afraid. The temptations they had to respond and to, to develop this false interpretation of life. To believe we're so limited by the world, we really can't do anything. Tempted maybe to believe we might as well just join them if we can't beat them. To believe that they were silent their meaning had been taken away. Maybe the doubts that were in their heads as they received this letter from Peter, that they had been abandoned by God. Or if he was there, he wasn't really there. They just needed maybe to lay low and survive. I remember having a conversation with an older lady once who seemed to live with this deep sense of distrust of others, a a very big self-protective wall, a lot of insecurity of herself, even though she may not have ever said it, and a lot of fear. As I got to know her story, she shared about her family of origin. She shared how she was adopted into a family. She was always treated as if she was less than the biological children that were there. She was actually directly told this, she said, that she would never become anything, that she just needed to be thankful that she had a house to live in, food to eat, and clothes to wear. And she said that she was literally told that she would would never amount to anything. And so it developed within her this, this deep survival instinct. And these direct words, she said, were indirect reinforcement of not being listened to like others were, decisions were to be made, not included in the process. Opportunities were not offered to her as the other siblings were, like playing sports, extracurricular activities. Dreams were not being given to her. College, career, finances, the health of those things. I'm going to connect some dots here she didn't necessarily connect, but there was no doubt that she felt lonely, angry, hurt, and largely just irrelevant to life. She was just a kid. None of this was under her control. Attempts to control it, were they to happen, based on this story would have only been met by more reinforcement of her lack of control with verbal or physical abuse. And so I deduce from that that this culture that she lived in caused her to develop not only this deep root of insecurity, but this deep root of of underlying resentment and bitterness and distrust of other people that she carried with her and held her back from being able to live out the fullness of the potential that God gave her in this world as his child. But yet in the middle of all that, there were such beautiful pictures of god's grace as he would take someone in that situation and with that story and use her at times to be such a blessing to other people we have to ask ourselves how do we continue to show up and grow up in a world in situations and seasons maybe not the same as she endured but very similar when it feels like life is outside of our control, where the world, the flesh, and the devil just continually to feed us lies and to offer us lures into another way in the way of Christ. When life is outside of your control, how do you respond? How do you respond? How do you get through things when you cannot change your circumstances? Some of you feel a lot of things right now. A big arc of your story may have embedded within your your brain and even your body and your mind, that basically you're just powerless, voiceless. Some of you feel this this way in this time of, of the coronavirus. Maybe your lack of control is being exposed. Maybe you feel isolated alone. Or maybe, maybe you feel trapped as if there's these expectations on you to do something, but, but the, the circumstances are not allowing for those expectations to be realized. I'll just confess personally as a pastor that the Spirit has been revealing a lot of areas in my life that I did not really view as problems before. And one of them is in this area of anxiety. There's this temptation to feel that in this time that it's sort of our time to shine. And sadly, pressure can be put on the followers of Jesus right now that we have got to, to like sort of up the ante on all things technology, up the ante on, on all things being the church. And while this can come from a good place, the enemy in this time has the opportunity to, To just sort of drag all of us along, along, maybe more deeply, even though we aren't gathered, into the consumerism, materialism, professionalism, performanceism, and cynicism that accompanies all that is against the way and kingdom of Christ. And Whether that's where you are or not, we all live with these enemies who are whispering in our ear, you are not enough. You're not doing good enough. You will never be enough. Just sink in your shame. Just give up. Just go home. Just shut up. And maybe at least your life will be a little simpler. These lies of the enemy are not just to make us feel bad. They're to make us forget. So, how are we supposed to live in a world with so much out of our control and with such enemies speaking such lies into our ears? But we must remember our priesthood because we have a path above the world's control. So, as you, as we, as the people of God, our text goes on come to Him who is Him, it is Jesus. Jesus revealed the way in his life, and even now through his spirit, of how we can live under control in a world that is outside of control. Jesus is just beautiful, and you can just go read all of the Gospels, and maybe in this season you have time to do that, and just learn from Jesus. What does it mean to live under control in a world that looks out of control? How do we do that? Well, first of all, we continually come to him. As you come to him, this is what sort it of say, you continually come to him. It's not a one-time thing. If you thought being a Christian meant, I raise my hand, say I don't want to go to hell, say I believe in Jesus, and now I go live my life, when you get punched in the face, when everything happens, there is no doubt that your faith will be found on such a flimsy foundation because Jesus has not called us. Through a one-time transaction with him, he's called us into a relationship. He's called us to be disciples. And a disciple is someone who lives their life on the footsteps of Jesus. Everywhere they go and wherever they find themselves. And where did Jesus find himself? Rejected. Notice again in verse 4. A living stone rejected by men. He knows. He knows our context. He was tried, tempted, tested, tormented, tortured by men. He was wounded. He knows what it's like to hurt. He was angered, righteously, but in reality. He was alone. and took on the guilt of the world. But he was chosen and precious. Notice, he wasn't just rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. From a human standpoint, it looks like these people were in control. The side of the kingdom, God was in control. Not just of his destiny, though that was true, but of his very identity. How did Jesus live under control in a world that looked so out of control? It was because God's estimate of him ruled his heart and not the world's estimate of him. I'm going to say that again. How did Jesus live so under control? When it looked like the world was so out of control, it was because God's estimate of him ruled his heart and not the world's estimate of him. People could dislike Jesus, and he wasn't devastated. People could could shame Jesus, and he wasn't devastated. People could intimidate Jesus, and he wasn't devastated. Because the ear and voice of God gave him his identity, not the world. Because he lived under the opportunities that God gave him, not the world. Because he rested in the control of God and not the world. Because his life was lived out of the identity that God gave him and not the world. No one was more limited by the world than Jesus. Just read it. And yet no one ever lived more free. Thus he is a living stone. Stop it. They could lie. They could slander. They could murder. They could mock. They could win. So Jesus, this living stone, becomes through his death and resurrection the supreme person and place where God is met and where you and I find that we. he is our cornerstone. What does it mean for Jesus to be our cornerstone? In the end of verse 7, stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It means he is our foundation from which everything else in our lives is built. It means he is our center that holds. It means that he is a rock that we can build our lives upon that no one can overturn or destroy. So on that foundation of Christ, notice verse 5, they are reminded of their identity as the church. It's just amazing. We thought Jesus was a living stone. Notice verse 5, We well, you yourselves like living stones. In Christ we now are alive. In Christ, we now notice are being built up as a spiritual house. The world says we are deadbeat nobodies. The flesh says that. The enemy says that. But God says you are alive. And even more, you are a living presence, a living embodied presence of God in the world. that foundation, they, they hear their purpose. And this other identity statement we're circling around this morning. They are being built up as a spiritual house. Notice again in verse 5: to be a holy priesthood. Do you know that you are a priest of God? In Exodus 19:6, Israel heard these words. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Are those words our words now as the church? Well, hear what Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 say to the church To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And You may think, yeah, well, is it, are we sure? Is this really extend beyond the nation of Israel, the old covenant? Is this really ours in the new covenant as the people of God from, from all across the globe? Well, notice, notice Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And what, just ransomed? And now stuck in the corner? Just just, just be thankful to be saved. Just be thankful to go to heaven. Just be thankful for an afterlife. No. Verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They shall reign on. Amazing. This is who you are in Christ. No persecution, no pandemic can take that away. So we're called to live lives, we notice here, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. We're called, verses 7 and 8, to, to trust that when people reject us, they're ultimately rejecting God. And even when people reject God, they're ultimately not defeating God. This is his world. And even though his people at this time suffer and are confused, he is on the throne. And he has given us an identity to hold us and to help us be his people in times such as these. One time we went hiking as a missional community and Jamie, I don't know if you're watching Josh out there, but Jamie evidently has this great fear of bridges. And we came to this bridge that we had to cross. It was one of those swinging kind of bridges. I don't like heights myself, so I was a little nervous. But I just, I just trucked right across. Well, she's kind of getting paralyzed here on the other side. And Josh, if I remember this right, he, he looked across the bridge, and he said to her, all right, don't look down. Don't look down. Just keep your eyes on me and take one step at a time. And so here she goes out on the bridge, just white-knuckling the side of it, and just barely thing. But her eyes straight ahead, right? Don't look down. Don't see all the possibilities. Don't see all the potential for a great deal of pain. Forget about your past and what may ever have taught you that you need to be afraid. Just keep your eyes on me and walk across the bridge. I thought of me as a kid going in the dark with my dad. I didn't need to see anything other than him. If I could just see him, I didn't have to see what was coming next. I just needed to see him, and if even better, I could touch him. If I could hold his hand, if I could hang on to the back of his shirt, that's all I needed. This is what God is saying to us through 1 Peter, is we don't have to see the big picture. We don't have to have all the knowledge. We don't have to be given all the influence or control or voice we might wish we had in this world and grieve that we don't have. But all we need to do is keep our eyes on him. We're called to just walk behind Jesus, rejected by men, chosen and precious, yet rejected, crucified, but now is risen. He's made it out of this graveyard world into glory. And he's calling us to follow him now along the way. This is why it's so important that he is precious to us. We will not cling to someone who is not precious to us. In times of panic and pain, we won't cling to a textbook. We won't cling to a theory. We won't cling to a theological category, what we need and what we have in Jesus. Person who has defeated sin, death, and hell. The person who loves us, He gave His life to walk with you. We must live out of who He has made us, and we only do that through walking with Him. Living is a spiritual house. I want and Jeff Vanderstelle, one of the leaders in our Psalm Family and churches. He he often asks this question, so I'm going to ask it to you right now. Sincerely, I want you to participate. I want everyone who is a worship leader or who has ever been a worship leader in a church at any point in their life to to raise their hands. So if you're home right now, you've you've been a worship leader at some point, or are a worship leader now, I want you to raise your hands. All right, here's the trick question. Everybody should have raised their hands. Because what, what our scripture is telling us here today is that you're all worship leaders. You're you're all a part of this spiritual house and you've been made a holy priesthood. What did priests do? What did they do? What what does it look like for us now to offer up these spiritual sacrifices? Well, what priests did is they mediated the presence of God before the people of God in the world and they brought about this ministry of reconciliation with the people of God in the world. They were the ones who, whom God appointed to bring people into God's presence, and they were the ones whom God appointed to lead people through the forgiveness of their sins and the holiness of their lives. And that's what we're all called and given the privilege and responsibility to do this as His people. Romans 12.1 talks about sacrifices in this way to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, this Feeling worship is all of life, in your vocation, in your location, in your home, and sacrificially, sacrifices are sacrifices. And this time, watching a sermon may be a sacrifice. Connecting with people who don't know Jesus, view a technology, may feel like a sacrifice. What the Lord is calling you to do as his priest is to humble yourself to this moment and not in pride or a sense of superiority say, I'm just going to stay at home with my toilet paper and my Netflix and wait this thing out. In Philippians 4.18, spiritual sacrifices are described as giving gifts to enable the spread of the gospel. During this time, missionaries continue to need to be supported. During this time, your role in a missional community, a fight club, or as a person on your neighborhood or on your street, God is still asking, how financially, with my resources, can I sacrifice to give to the ongoing work of God's mission? In Hebrews thirteen fifteen, a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice, is singing and giving praise to God. In Hebrews thirteen sixteen, 16, it is doing good through the sharing of our possessions. What beautiful pictures we've had of this in our church. People have been making soup to be delivered in their common mission fields of their MCs. People have been doing laundry for one another. People have been checking in on neighbors. People have been giving rides. People have been praying for one another. All of these, these snapshots or screenshots from Zoom or Google Hangout. This is a part of what it means to be the priesthood of God. Not relying on some sort of professional clergy as the only ones, but believing that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and he is gifted and empowered and indwell all the people of God to unite the world to him. Some of you may be thinking, yes, but I'm such a pathetic priest. Well, notice the end of verse 7 it says, Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not through you, through Jesus Christ. How do you persevere when you feel like such a pathetic priest? You remember that your service, your sacrifice, is not offered on the basis of your purity or your perfect morality or your perfect patience, but on the perfection of Christ. Yes, you're probably losing your cool with somebody in your home right now because you've had to live in such close proximity to him. You're probably frustrated with somebody you work with right now because of all the navigations of the economy or the technology. And you may be tempted to think, I'm better off just just digging in here. But what you're believing is you can only go out and live out your identity of a priest of God based on your performance. But the freedom of the gospel is is that we do not live out our missionary calling, our priesthood calling in this world based on our performance, but based on Christ. And often it is through our repentance along the way that we get the opportunity to mediate his presence as we experience reconciliation ourselves. Well, finally and quickly, no more time has gotten away from us here. We remember our priesthood not only even when it feels like life is out of our control, but not only because we have this path in the person of Christ that is above the world's control, but lastly, because we have a position that is outside the world's control. And a lot of this is just going to repeat and rehearse what we've said before. But I'm going to pause there and say, it is good to repeat these things. Peter is repeating. The Spirit of God is repeated. In 2 Peter, he will use this remember, remember, remember phrase over and over again. As you read throughout the whole story of God, we're being called again and again. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Remember who you are. Remember what that means now for your life. So we have an identity that we must repeat. Notice verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and repeat the purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to be gospel drill sergeants when it comes to these things in our own hearts and to those that we love. We don't need to be the type of drill sergeants Who are just repeating where other people are failing, where they could do better. We need to be repeating who people are in Christ. We need to repeat it to ourselves. We need to repeat it in our spheres of influence. We need to speak in the mirror. We need to speak to those we love in our homes, our MCs, our FCs. You are chosen. You are a chosen race. You are royalty. Royalty. You're a child of me. You are a royal priest. You are a spirit and dwell and empowered mediator and reconciliator of the presence of God through the gospel of Christ. You are a holy nation. You have a citizenship beyond this world. You are a people for his own possession. God wants you. God's not stuck with you. He wants you. God loves you and God likes you. And it's only when that identity sinks deep in your soul and you are humbled and overwhelmed by all of the amazing grace of God to that, and our sins and our suffering that then now you can overflow with a life that proclaims His excellencies. The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who raised you from the dead, to sit at his table as his child, whom he loves, whom he gives a voice, whom he gives influence, whom he gives possibilities to and power in this world. To display and declare his kingdom. What gospel power is here, verse 10. You were not God's people, but now you are. You're not no mercy people. You are mercy. That's the banner over your life. Grace, mercy, peace, and the gospel. So verses 11 and 12 tell us to go out and live in such a way that will demand a gospel explanation. Keep her conduct honorable. So that when people seek, speak evil against us, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of this occasion. We demonstrate grace, then we declare grace. Have you forgotten who you are? When you look in the mirror, you see a chosen royal priest of God as a part of his holy chosen nation. Do you see yourself as qualified in Christ to go and display and declare the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous life? If not, then you've forgotten your priesthood. And if you've forgotten your priesthood, then that means you've forgotten the power of the gospel. So I'm going to go Peter Repeat style right now. And I'm going to close by sharing one of my favorite illustrations that I like to wear out with our people. It's from Harry Reader. says this, when I was 16 years old, my father bought me a car at an auction for $75. Many of you know where I'm going here. Let's go here together. I want you to have it memorized. It was a pink 57 Ford, which my dad insisted was Coral. And he said, now, I told Dad, I can't drive a pink car to school. He said, I heard words that in a not-too-distant future, my own children would hear. Son, a poor ride is better than a proud walk. It was said so convincingly, I, I knew it was probably in the Bible. But then my dad took me out to the driveway, and he opened the hood, and to my surprise, underneath that hood was a 390 engine with two four-barrel carburetors. This pink car that looked Embarrassing on the outside had been a South Carolina State Interceptor Highway Patrol car that had more power under the hood than most could fathom. Reader says space and conviction space and conviction prevents me from detailing the surprises that both Corvettes and Roadsters would get after they would look laughingly at my pink. 57-4 while sitting side-by-side side at spotlights. It didn't look like much, but there was power under the hood. Brothers and sisters, we might not look like much. Oh, Lord knows I don't. times. I don't feel like much. I feel the opposite, like I bring more pain into the world sometimes and problems for people, but the gospel tells me there's power under the hood. The gospel comes to you now by the Spirit, and you feel whatever your record is that in Christ this is who you are. You're a chosen, royal priest sent with purpose in this world. A purpose that pandemics, persecution, panic, can't take away. Because we're built on the chosen and precious cornerstone of Christ. So in times of pressure, let us remember our priesthood. Father, we thank you. That what you say is real is true. We rest ourselves on Christ. We throw ourselves on Him. God, we wish we could gather now around your table and break the bread and sip the cup and toast to the victory of our King Jesus, but we're apart. But we thank you that in Him we are one even now. We pray, God, as we go out today that we would long for that communion, reunion, we will share, hopefully soon. But until then, God, may we live as priests in this world scattered. May we live as the church scattered. May, as we display the kingdom, may you give us opportunity to give an explanation. that points people to our precious, precious cross, our cornerstone his name